Folks, this week on the Pre-Real Podcast, we're joined by Cody Davis. He's 23, and Christian Osgood, he's 31. They've built this amazing story. Uh, two young men that have really figured out this game. They're multifamily investors primarily, uh, though they're starting to dip their toe into some hospitality stuff. Uh, they've put together about a 120-unit portfolio at this point. Um, they've got a real simplified approach to real estate, and I think that's what has allowed them to execute as effectively as possible. They're the founders of Multifamily Strategy. Some amazing takeaways from some from, from young men in the business. Takeaways you would not experience normally unless you were seasoned in this business 15, 20 years. These kids really have it together. Uh, tremendous job. So give this a listen. A listen. It's Cody Davis and Christian Osgood, uh, founders of Multifamily Strategy. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Don't miss it this week, folks. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We have got a super treat for you today. Uh, we're joined by Christian Osgood, Osgood and Cody Davis. Just to put a little perspective, folks, Christian's 31, Cody's 23. Uh, they are the founders of Multifamily Investing Strategy. Um, these are our amazing young men that were put on my radar by one of my younger team members that have seen the work that you're doing. Uh, you, you've now closed on 110 units and a resort. You're out there doing uh, what we hear about and we see all the time on these investment channels at a really young age. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate being here. I have to say, like tip of the hat, congratulations. Thank you for uh, sharing your story. It is absolutely amazing, guys. Appreciate that. One thing uh, that I've learned over the last three and a half years of doing this is that the story is worth more than the real estate. And in that uh, learning curve that I've experienced, I figured we should share it. So how did you all meet? How did this come together? So we actually met, we were working at the same firm. So I knew of Cody, but he worked in a different building than me. Real estate uh, firm. Yeah, real estate firm. We were working in Tacoma. He was the, when I first knew he existed, I knew he was the uh, 20 year old with 24 units. And I had no idea how he got there. And I was focused on building my research call center for that, uh, for that org. But we really hit it off when he went to uh, Grant Cardone's Growth Con, our, the owner of that firm backed out at the last minute. He's like, Hey guys, I have a hotel. You guys are both going. There's two beds. You guys should just room together. Free, free room. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Reason budget for 20 year old Cody. Yep. And I had just left my job to, uh, to start a new venture. So I was like, ah, budget's low. Let's do it. We roomed together for three days. You get all pumped up from the whole entrepreneur thing. But more than that, we talked about goals and we realized that our goals were aligned. I was trying to figure out how to expand 
my real estate so that I could retire my wife from teaching. And Cody was trying to figure out how to expand his real estate to retire his mother. You guys um, had some sort of real estate background, mentors in the business. Like, how, how did you get to the point where you realized, okay, real estate's the pathway. This is this is where I want to spend my time. We both had completely different ways of getting there. Yeah. Uh, go, 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 go first. Go okay. first. I like yours. 14-year-old Cody was, um, I was at my mom's house and my parents split when I was eight. About six years later, my mom had a friend and he had been in real estate and through divorce had to liquidate, but he had 12 apartments. And so he, he gave me this book. You might've heard of it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so I read it and I got super excited and I wanted to buy a duplex. And then I realized that I was 14 years old. And it was a little hard to buy real estate at 14 years old. But I put the book back down and went on with life. And then fast forward three-ish years, three and a half years, I was 17 or 18. And I was in my last year of high school. This would have been 2018. And uh, my, my teacher at the time, it was a civics teacher, she was teaching us about torts and all this. He, last, he said, last day of school, you come to school, which nobody did. I'll teach you how to make money when you sleep. And I thought that was pretty cool. And one of my buddies ended up telling me before that class, he said, because he had been through it the, the quarter before. And he just said, look, you just buy these $5,000 houses and you rent them out and then you get rich. And so I was like, all right, I want to know how that works. So I went to school and that's what he said. He bought a $5,000 house for sale by owner. It was that real estate concept again. So I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I got interested. And I was cleaning up at um, a friend of my dad's house. They they had a place and I was pressure washing and cleaning up outside landscaping because I thought that's what I wanted to do. At the time, I just had fun with it. And they said, you should join this Facebook group. And so I joined the Facebook group, made a post. I wanted to buy a duplex by 21. I was 18. And so I figured, you know, in three years, I can work a few jobs. I was applying to multiple jobs. I was a gymnastics coach for a few years. I could get enough money to buy a duplex. And someone online said, hey, because I was going to college at the time, at, the, at this point, you should just drop out of college, get your real estate license, you'll make a ton of money. And so I did it. And uh, I ended up at the firm where I met Christian. And for me getting into real estate, it was pretty simple. Uh, instead of reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I had a, a great real world example. My dad worked a nine to five and hated it, but it provided for us. So I didn't get a bunch of time with him, but we were really blessed that we had a single parent who was able, our one parent's income could cover both parents and the, my two siblings. So while that was awesome, my dad worked a lot of 11 hour days, six, seven days a week. So I didn't see enough of him. Next door, actually three doors down, uh, my friend Jake's dad, John, had bought rentals, fixed up houses, bought some small multifamily, bought a bunch of laundry mats. And at around, I want to say he was about 35, he retired. Nice house, not insane house, but a nice house, hot tub, convertible cars. I was like, wow, he has some toys, he has a house, and he's out of the game. He just flips a house or two a year, and that was his whole thing. So that, that turned me on to real estate. I took the long way to get there, though. He started as a, well, comparatively to Cody, uh, he had the. Uh, he started as a banker, and he saved up, and he would take his money, buy a house, take his money, buy a house. He wanted to get his wife into the game. Uh, she had just immigrated from Canada. 
wasn't able to work here yet. So he's like, well, what can she do? I can buy some businesses. So I bought a bunch of laundry mats. I'm like, well, if I'm trying to get started, I have to go start getting money. So I went to college, got a sales job in apparel, wanted to get into real estate. So worked at the CoStar Group. Uh, at the time, lands.com, they just acquired it. Then uh, sold for apartments.com, loopnet, and CoStar Data Core Product. For those who don't know, CoStar is like the internet for commercial real estate. They own, they, they almost have a monopoly on the data. It's crazy. But worked for them. And I made the mistake that being in real estate is not the same as being an investor. I was around owners, property managers. I was in, but I wasn't in the game. It wasn't until 2020 when everything started shutting down where I realized, hey, I'm not actually where I wanted to be. I'm in a high paying job and I have no real estate outside of my house. So bought my first duplex, fell in love with buying real estate, quit my job right there, <laughs> bought another duplex, and then we bought the 38plex together uh, not long after that. How did you guys bridge the gap? What was the, the step you took that said, that's probably not the way for us? What we found to be true for playing this game is we keep everything really simple. It's not for other people. That's for me because I'm not super smart. I know how to use the pieces I have. I just don't have a lot of pieces. So simplify everything. And then we go in with an objective and walk away with a takeaway because that keeps us intentional. So we go in with a goal for all of our meetings, whether it's with an investor now or, or a property manager or a tenant or a potential business venture partner. And then we leave it with a takeaway. A lot of people go and they just wander through their meetings and they don't really identify what is the number one takeaway I got from this meeting? What's the number one thing, if there was one thing that I got out of this conversation? And when you start identifying the one thing and then you just become a master of it, you put it into practice until you're an expert, eventually you start getting different takeaways from the conversations. And that's, I didn't know how to articulate that in the beginning, but that's what we did over and over and over every owner meeting every investor meeting every time i met with the tenant because i self-managed my 30 apartments it was an adventure but i would go in with an objective to learn and leave with a takeaway and we started implementing that amongst the partnership and that is what allowed us to really simplify everything and not worry so much about the unknowns because there's always going to be unknowns and in line with keeping it simple we have a the rule of not adding steps. And it doesn't mean you can skip steps because you absolutely can't skip steps, but- well, you can, it just won't go well. Yeah, exactly. You start with, okay, where am I actually heading? So you start with, what is the goal? And that's what Cody and I ultimately did at that growth con. We're in the hotel together. We set, we had similar goals and that's what you need for partnership is, okay, we're heading in the same direction. We know where we're going. What would it actually take to get there? And then we don't add any steps. The one thing, and it's the simplest thing in all of real estate. I wish someone had told me before- I did the whole college to get a job, job to get a second job, that whole route was you're not a real estate investor until you buy a piece of real estate. You don't have to think too far past that. If you want to get into the game, for Cody, it was a 12-plex. For me, it was a duplex. I'm a huge proponent of multifamily, so I, I say duplex should probably be the smallest you go. That's my opinion. I agree. But buy the property. All you have to do is figure out how to do that. Once you get that step out of the way, the rest of it is so much easier. If I heard anything when I started, I wish I heard that 10 years before I did because I could have been, you know, Cody was 19 when he bought his first deal. I could have been 
assuming I had the same life trajectory I had, could have got out of college at 22, could have figured out how to do this. You figured this whole damn thing out at 23 years old. It took me, and now prior to me launching the investment side, um, you know, we've got hundreds of units now. We're in a number of different asset classes, but it took me 20 years being at the top of my game in what I did. We, we brokered $100 million deals. We did every type of, of transaction you can imagine. We had a billion dollars in transactional real estate under our belts before I made the jump. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. On, on that point, I'm really good at addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, and the logic test. When I say I'm not that smart, my vocabulary sucks. Christian can verify that. There's a lot of words that I don't know what they mean. And uh, when it comes to life skills, I don't have many. But I, I just understand very simple math and logic. And all of what I've done, I've just logiced my way through it. And when I look at a deal, you add up all the income, you subtract all the expenses and then the debt, and you either have a positive number or negative. And I logic my way through it. Is it feasible to put it together? And if there is any takeaway that you're going to take out of this podcast, folks, let it be money does not matter. If you have the deal, you're going to find the money. And if you have the skill set to find the deal, you mentioned billion plus dollars of transactions that's ridiculous that's a lot it's actually a lot um the ability to do that is worth way more than the people putting together the capital yep because they could they could bridge all the money they want if they can't buy stuff they can't figure out the relationship piece and they may be able to buy a nice car or a nice house but they're not getting the real estate that we want to buy yeah, and there's a lot more money out there than there are great real estate deals to buy they're not even printing it anymore. They can just add it to the digital currency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> add digits. What's yep. the circulation? It's out of zero. Yeah. Bank went under. Cool. We'll back all you guys. We'll just print it. That's going to work. Yep. Well, it, it's fascinating that you guys cut through this the way you did. Um, I really applaud you for, for how you've accelerated this process and you've identified and simplify the things that you can outsource. Um, and without a doubt, the deal, if you've got the deal, um, you've got the golden goose. So what was the 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 experience like when you went to uh, the Grant Cardone seminar? Was that productive for you guys? That was fun for us. I think we went to the first two days and then enjoyed the beach on the third day. <laughs> nope. We got our takeaways. I had, a, I had one takeaway from that that actually really funny enough launched it wasn't the takeaway i expected but we do review all of our takeaways all the time uh mike Rowe from dirty jobs which was one of the very few shows that were just fantastic on discovery his speech launched our career it, it really did he talked about so he started in uh, infomercials that's where he got his his start and they would put an item in front of him that he has no idea what it is and he has to talk about it coherently for eight minutes and the ability for him to talk about anything confidently for eight minutes allowed him to launch dirty jobs. Because he's like, hey, I, I get thrown into situations I know nothing about, and I just have to talk about it while the camera's on. And if I can do that, we're fine. And it never rolls for more than eight minutes on a clip, so I'm good. 
We took that skill, which conveniently, YouTube algorithm, the cutoff is eight minutes for when it wants to push you. Uh, but when we started talking uh, online about what we were doing, the ability to get in front of people and just go, you know what, I'm going to open my mouth. And even when I don't know exactly what direction I'm going, like when I started this sentence, I know I'm going to land where I need to go. And we applied that to our entire career. And that's our whole ability to communicate with people coherently came from that one speech with Mike Rowe saying, hey, this is what I, this is the skill that I had. We adopted that skill and we applied that same principle to all of real estate. And it got really ridiculous when I heard the other line from Cardone where he said, you don't have to remember what you said if you tell the truth. So we combined this, uh, this skill set of just, you don't need to remember anything you say if you tell the truth. And then if you can talk about anything for eight minutes, you're set. So we don't script anything. And I never remember what I say. I have to rewatch stuff. I'd love to jump in on a deal or two and just talk about like, what are your metrics? What are you guys looking for in a deal? Uh, what type of returns? What, what, what are the things? Let me not put words in your mouth. You tell me when you're looking for a deal, what are the things that you're looking for? You talk parameters, but I'm going to start with the first and main thing. We're looking for a long-term fixed rate cash flowing debt. Define long-term. Long-term. So two, two things on it. Long-term, I would usually call 10 years plus. However, not every deal we've done gets us there. It's having a very, very, very clear path to get it into long-term cash flowing fixed rate debt. And in the past, a decade plus is plenty long-term for people getting started. Today, it's a little different for us. So if we're doing a bank refinance, we're taking it to 10-year minimum debt. Mm -hmm. And we do our fixed rate mortgages and we're good. And that's going to be a commercial product because we're buying commercial residential real estate. However, we don't need to do tenure debt anymore. Long-term for us means that we can pay off the mortgage before it's due. So we've got a three and a half million dollar mortgage due in eight years. It's not 10 years, but we can pay it off before it's due. Out of the cash flow from the asset. Mm -hmm. We've got a three-year mortgage on a little duplex development site. We can pay it off before it's due. It doesn't take three years to pay that off. So long-term in the beginning, we're talking decade plus. After you build a little portfolio, it's an asset that you can afford to write a check for before the term is up, because that is a long enough horizon for you to ensure you're not gonna lose it. That leads into our criteria. Let's figure out how do I buy it and how do I never lose it? And then the last piece, which is really not important to people getting started is will it be fun? Because it doesn't need to be fun in the beginning. You just need to get started. But for us, how do you buy it is you line up your deal and your debt and your equity. How do you never lose it is long-term fixed rate debt that cash flows with margin. So are you guys targeting seller financing deals only at this point on the way in? No, I mean, seller financing was a, a means to get in, but Christian bought his first deals without seller financing. The order of operations is deal, debt, equity, and that's for how do you buy it. It doesn't say deal, seller, finance, equity. It's deal, debt, equity. You have to find the best debt product. Seller financing is not the best debt product for every deal. It's not. It could be, but it's not feasible that it, it will be for every opportunity. So you have to line up the best product. We've bought deals with hard money. He's bought deals conventionally. Now I've done conventional deals. We're working on some conventional purchases right now. I've only done conventional refis, but you have to line up the best debt product. So we're not just targeting seller financing. We're looking for the opportunity because if we just targeted seller financing, 
we'd be looking at debt deal equity, and then that's going to cap the deals that we're going to be able to get our eyes on. Yeah, I, I think the seller financing came into play for us as the optimal debt product for two reasons. One, when we were starting, we didn't qualify, or at least Cody didn't qualify for conventional financing. And for the size deals that we were buying, our first deal together being a 38 unit, neither did I. So when we got started, that was off the table. Then as we started to actually build some net worth, we ran into the issue of uh, interest rates doubled. So seller financing was a fantastic solution for a lot of these because people who were still stuck on their price, but the bank interest rates just wouldn't allow it to work, were able to come in and it's like, well, everything's negotiable. So we were able to play on the rules that they wanted to play on with just completely ignoring the shift in the market. So that was a huge advantage. Now that people are starting to accept, okay, interest rates are higher, they're probably going to stay up, and people are now scared because the banks are finally popping. I, I saw two. I, don't, I haven't looked at the news yet this morning, so I imagine we're going to see some more fun this week. But as we're starting to see it all unravel, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like to get lending or if seller financing is just the way we continue to do things. Because I don't know enough, not having gone, like 2008 was before I was in the game. We just went mutual three seconds ago on a, another seller finance deal. Oh, huzzah. huzzah. Okay. Well, there we go. So we're still going <laughs> to go. <laughs> Still doing the seller financing, but it'll be interesting to see what bank policy looks like because I'm imagining it tightens up a lot in the near future. So it's a yeah. method, and it seems to be the right time to be really good at it. You guys are uh, you, you took down 110 units and you took down the resort. Is that the Robin Hood Village Resort? Is that what that deal is? Uh, you give, the canal. You give the audience a, a few minutes on what that deal is about. Yeah, so that one was fun. It's my favorite property. Every time I go there, the first thing I say to Christian, I look around. It, it's a cabin resort on the Hood Canal. And I look around and say, Christian, I can't believe we did this. It, it, is <laughs> so the, cool. it is the coolest thing that we've ever bought today. And it's not like it's Taj Mahal, but it's really fun. It was built by John Beckman. He was the set designer who partnered with Walt Disney way back when for the Robin Hood movie back in the 30s. He built this. And so the Robin Hood Village Resort was built by the set designer who partnered with Walt on the Robin Hood movie in the 30s with Errol Flynn. It's just a fun piece of history. It's got a beautiful campus. We've got 12 acres. Originally, it was nine and a half acres at the Robin Hood. It's got a little bit of waterfront. It's got a dock. But then there was a, a triplex that came for sale, adjacent real estate, two and a half acres. And so I called them up. It was on Zillow. They wanted to be cashed out. And I said, hey, would you sell or finance this? And I said, we have debt on it, but we'll, ju we'll just pay it off. We'll sell or finance it. So they wrote a check for their debt and uh, we bought that on a contract and then we assembled it. And the fun part was one of the prior owners of the Robin Hood was the person who built this house, Mr. Woodcox. And it's a the triplex house. We call it the sauna house. It's got one upstairs and two downstairs. And so he built the house. So we got to actually reconnect the campus but my favorite part about it is he owned a lot of the campus. He didn't own the main pub building. The, uh, the Nordstrom's owned it. And so the prior owner that sold to us bought from the Nordstrom. So we got to assemble this, this huge campus that hadn't been assembled before. So that, that's my favorite part about the whole story. We got to put something back together, put together a piece of history. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. And it was all seller financed. Yeah, zero bank loans and zero dollars out of pocket. We bought um, $7 million of real estate. 
Is it a, like a limited hospitality play? What's the the end product here? What do you what is it that you're doing with it? Yeah, so it was run primarily as a two to three day stay. You come into the hotel, cabin getaway, you get your hot tub, you can go kayaking, go see the seals, go see the wolves. And through the summer, a wedding venue. Yeah, but we are primarily using it as an event space. We have our own events and we're doing a lot of weddings. We're working on getting the Writers Club. There's a PNW Writers Club that hosted their event in January. I remember where they hosted. I think it was Puyallup or something. But we're going to try and get them in next year to fill in some winter stuff. But a big country gonna, music concert that's going to yeah, be there this year. We're doing concerts again, bringing music back to Union, which is something that they've been missing out on for a long time. It used to happen. We want to just embrace what it used to be, not change change it. So that's that's the story behind the Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge advocate for going out of your lane. Like we're good at multifamily. We're good at acquisition and stabilization. I mean, we're really good at that. We can come in. We have the teams to turn a unit. We make things really nice. And primarily we're entry level housing. We, we make it really nice. And we cut, we were able to cut down on property management fees by starting our own property management company. And so we're able to come in. Typically we're just a little bit under market rent for above average market inventory because we fix them up really nice. So we just have fantastic leasing and that is what we are good at. We did this one because we hit our goal, hundred units. This came up and I was like, this is the adventure that we want to have. But I always, I always say that on all the podcasts, if you're going to do something, it is a best practice to stay in your lane. Hospitality is out of our lane. And it was really, really difficult to learn a brand new space. I do not regret it at all, but that is where we would have just been rich had we not bought that. Yeah, that was a that was a huge sacrifice. It will move us forward, but that was a huge, huge undertaking. That is why that rule will it be fun is so important, especially as you get established, because we could be done. Instead, we decided to have an adventure, and I'm super glad we did. It's it's very easy, guys, to get lost, and you'll you'll lift your head up, and a decade will come off the calendar. I promise you. So uh, we just did a. We just did a, a similar deal where we took a golf course and a 1,400-unit housing complex that was at one point together, and it got bifurcated and had its challenges. We bought the two assets independently, put them back together. Same thing. We didn't have experience in that space specifically, um, but it is so rewarding. It is so fun. You, you get to do all the things that you're talking about. You get to bring great amenities back to the community and you have to enjoy what you're doing uh, because if you don't, I promise you 10 years will go by and, and you'll you'll lift your head up and go, what in the hell just happened here? I've got two kids and you know I haven't lifted my head up for the last decade. Uh, I, I love every single thing that you guys are doing. You're winning in every single way. Uh, congratulations on absolutely all the success. Where's the best way for folks to, to find you? We have a YouTube channel. Our videos are getting a little better than they used to be. If you watch some of our first videos, they were pretty rough. However, we documented everything. We documented it all from before we owned anything together. That is Cody and Christian multifamily strategy. So as always, folks, uh, the links will be below. Guys, I, I really appreciate the time. Cody Davis, Christian Osgood, um, founders of multifamily strategy. Love what you're doing. Congratulations on all the success and thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Best of luck, guys. As always, please, everybody stay safe.